0: Well, boys and girls, I was doing some calculating and assuming a 7 a.m. wake up time. Parents, you're welcome. Uh, We have less than 15 hours until Christmas morning. Who's excited? Yes, lots of you. Many people are excited. Well, I know this Christmas season, I'm very excited as well. Uh, I have a two-year-old who's very into everything right now, and I'm, that, it's just hard not to get caught up in it. I've actually done a, a deep dive this year into uh, some Christmas movies, particularly into the movies, the various editions of A Christmas Carol. I, I've watched the the 1951 edition, which is a classic, right? Uh, honorable mention. And then I've also watched the Muppets uh, Christmas Carol as well, which is hard to beat, right? It's very good. How, just curious, how many of y'all have seen, or uh, have read either a Christmas Carol or seen the play or the movie? Just raise your hand and show hands. Okay, quite a bit of y'all. Okay, good. So this will be familiar to you then as well. well I want to just put out. Uh, I just want to argue something this, this evening. You can convince me and change my mind after the service if you disagree. But uh, I want to say, I want to argue that there may not be any greater depiction of great joy in any Christmas story ever written than in the final scenes of A Christmas Carol. Probably one of the most memorable things about a Christmas carol, right, is the, is the main, is the phrase that you hear over and over again, bah humbug, right, which comes from the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, you know, before there ever was a Grinch, there was Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He was the original OG, right, of the original Grinch of all the Grinches, right? And so here he is, he, he is this angry, selfish old man who despises everything Christmas. He can't stand it, but what's, What's kind of so lovable about the movie is, and and the, the story in general, is just the transformation that takes place. Right, he goes from being this this grumpy, miserable human to being this this man who's just overcome by joy by the end of the story. Uh, this joy, right, is captured, actually, in some of the final scenes, when he, he wakes up finally from these series of, of dreams uh, he, that he has over and over again, so at, where he's confronted with his past, his present, and his future, and all these, and these dreams, and he wakes up, and it captures this, this scene really well. He kind of wakes up, and he, he immediately is filled with excitement, because he realizes he's still alive, the nightmare's over, and the hopelessness kind of drains out of him, and he starts to become kind of ecstatic, and just in case you thought that he couldn't get any more excited, he looks out the window, he finds a boy pe- walking through the snow, and he asks them, boy, what day is it? And the boy replies, well, it's Christmas, sir. And so he he immediately is floored and is excited, right? He goes from one level of joy to the next. Immediately he becomes like Oprah. He's like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, right? Over and over again. Like he is just generous beyond anything. It's this huge transformation that takes place in his life. And we have to ask the reason why. Why was he so overjoyed? Well, we find out that it's because it was Christmas Day, right? The punchline is that he, he didn't miss it. He didn't miss Christmas Day, right? There was still time to redeem himself. There was still time to change. There was still time to write a new chapter, right? There was hope in the air. Well, you see, as you'll see in our text this evening, Luke 2, verses 8 through 16 Great joy is not exclusive to Ebenezer Scrooge. In fact, we see that God is delighted to bring great joy to even lowly, despised shepherds. If you look at our our chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we're told that there's some shepherds. Out in the field. And they're tending to their flock. And then all of a sudden. This angel appears out of nowhere. This angel of the Lord. And God's glory shines. All around them. And we're told that they're filled with this great fear. They're overcome by his presence. But the fear doesn't last very long. Because the angel ends up comforting them. And tells them. I'm not here to bring. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not here to bring bad news. I'm here to bring good news. And it's not just ordinary good news. But it's good. News news that is the cause of great joy. That's the phrase he uses. And now this phrase, great joy, this combination of the two words, great joy, is actually pretty special and it's pretty unique, okay? And here's why. This phrase, great and joy, those two words used together, are only used in the entire Bible nine times. And out of the nine times, six of them are in the New Testament. And every single time they are used, they are used at a monumental moment in the course of redemptive history. I'll give you a few examples. One of which is uh, in Matthew's gospel. At the resurrection, when they come in, they see that Jesus has, has risen and he's gone. He's not in the tomb. The tomb's empty. They are filled with this great joy. Uh, we see it again in Luke's gospel with the ascension. When Jesus goes to ascend to be with the, with the Father and heaven is enthroned uh, in his coronation, there is great joy. We see it again in Acts at the, at the council of Jerusalem. When they're in, in Acts 15, when they formally declare that the gospel has been open, wide open to all the Gentiles. The Gentiles are included, right? There is great joy over this news, right? And so forth and so forth. Well... We see it also in this evening's passage. We see this marker, this highlighting, the way that the Bible highlights this moment, this moment of Jesus' birth as this moment of great joy. That is what we see here. And it's a moment that's so great that it actually required an angel to personally come and to deliver the news to the shepherds. And it wasn't just an angel. It was a host of angels, as you see, an army of angels that come to deliver this news. The news was so great that the, that the shepherds couldn't even contain their joy. That they had to go see just for themselves if it was really True. And so they left their fields to go see. Well, what was this news? Well, we're told that the news was the birth of a baby. A baby that wasn't just any ordinary baby, but a special baby. And I think Luke 2, 11, that's where I'm going to be focusing in the next few moments that I have left, uh, that he, we get three clues. Three clues why this is the case. Why this is such a special occasion. The first clue is in the word Christ. If you're looking at your at the pamphlet, you have it's actually the word in there is uh, Messiah, right? That's the NIV translation. Those two words are synonymous. All it means is is the anointed ones, right? There's a number, uh, there's a lot of people in the Old Testament that were anointed, right? There's the prophets, the priests, and the kings. They're anointed, right? These are anointed ones that we see. But what we see that's different here is that this is the anointed one, right? This is not just another anointed person. This is the anointed one. And the way that we know that is because this person would come, Jesus, would come and be born in the city of Bethlehem, right? In the city of David, right? This is the Messiah, the one that they're looking for. This is the baby who is the one who is promised. That's the first clue we're given. The second clue is that this is the Lord, okay? That word Lord is really important. Up until this verse... this word Lord has been mentioned 19 times, okay? That's significant. The reason why it's significant is because every occasion that it's mentioned is in its association with God, the creator, the one who spoke everything into being. This God, right, the God that this is associated to, is now being associated with a baby, Lord. Lord right? You see this? We're quickly seeing that this is something spectacular. This baby is the one who is promised. This is the one who is able, right? We have a God-sized problem, and we need a God-sized solution. Thirdly and finally, the word savior is our final clue, right? These words reveal two things. One, that we need saving to begin with. We need someone to rescue us from ourselves, we need someone to deal with the problem of sin, right? Our greatest need isn't an economist, it isn't a politician, it isn't a philosopher or an entertainer, but our greatest need is a savior, one who will come and redeem us from our sins and restore things to the way they'd be. And what we see too is that Jesus, this baby, is the savior. He is the solution. He is the answer to everything that we've been longing and needing for, right? This is the one, the baby we need. In conclusion, to tie it back to Scrooge. If you think about it, Scrooge was overjoyed at the opportunity just to live a new life, right? At the opportunity for him to do something different for himself, Well, friends, how much more should we be overjoyed, should we be floored that we're not just given an opportunity to do better. Jesus does what we cannot for ourselves. He redeems us from our sins and offers us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Now, if that's not good news that gives cause for great joy, I don't know what is. With that in mind, let us pray. Father, Lord, we, we thank you so much for Christmas. We thank you for the, the yearly reminder that you are still on your throne. That you, the story has still been, is still written. Uh, that you have still dealt with our sin, that we are still forgiven, that you are still our righteousness. May we rest in that this, this holiday season. May we rest in in you and, and what you have accomplished for us. We, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.